This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you today. Um, coming up not too much later in today's episode, we will be talking with science fiction author and cat dad extraordinaire, Adam Troy Castro. And I say coming up not too much later because Adam and I ended up having a long-ish conversation. And I don't want the runtime for this episode to be too long. So I'm going to get right to it uh, pretty quickly. I, I just wanted to say one thing ahead of the interview. And you can certainly chalk this up to the extent to which I have... um been hardwired for guilt since my earliest childhood. Uh, but I did want to say that at one point in the interview, I, I do make fun of Clayton affectionately a little bit. Um, I And anyone who's familiar with my writing or who's heard me talk about Clayton knows that I sometimes make reference to the fact that Clayton is not the smartest of the cats that I have lived with over the years. Um Although at this point, I think Clayton is smarter than I originally gave him credit for. And now it's just one of those things where, you know how it is, like in a family, everybody sort of gets a, a, a kind of role to play. And so Clayton in our house is our lovable doofus. That That's just kind of the role that he has been cast in over the past 11 years. Uh, but I do want to uh, reassure or perhaps remind everybody listening that I am – insanely, insanely crazy about Clayton and Fanny. Um, and and to an extent that that sometimes, and I actually do mean this literally, scares me a little bit. And I don't know, you know, maybe maybe somebody else listening can kind of relate to this. I I definitely feel over the years, you know, they say whatever doesn't kill you make, makes you stronger. Um, I kind of feel like for me, the the older I get, the more the reverse of that seems to be true. I, I definitely do not feel that I am stronger and tougher now than I used to be. I think the opposite is true. I, I used to be flinty, man. I, I used to be so tough. And I cry now at the drop of a hat. I I have like no emotional <laughs> resilience whatsoever. You would think the many, many things I have learned over my rapidly increasing number of years on this planet would would go to reinforce some sort of courage or or strength of character and and really it just seems like it's the opposite um and losing my my first 3 cats and and particularly losing Homer with whom I was always so close that was unbelievably painful and difficult. I, I know that I don't really have to explain to anybody listening how painful that was. Um, and yet on some level, I always felt emotionally prepared for it. It was always going to be the deal. I was 24 when I first adopted Scarlet and barring any 
catastrophes or, or calamities, some of which certainly do happen, but it was always sort of the general plan that I was going to outlive them. And by the way, the same is true of Clayton and Fanny. I'm certainly much older than than the 24 years I was when I first adopted Scarlet. But again, something would have to go wrong, pretty, pretty, pretty wrong at this point for me not to outlive Clayton and Fanny, or I guess maybe something would have to go very, very right for them. Um, but I, the, the point that I'm making is that I feel so much less equipped to deal with it this time. I mean, I, 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 it's even talking about it right now is, is, is elevating my blood pressures is really getting me upset and but it's not even just on the issue of the cats. This is definitely something that I've noticed as I get older. I I feel like I have less emotional resilience and I'm wondering is this just me or is this a symptom of of middle age? Is this something that when I age out of middle age eventually will will kind of come back around and I'll be as as flinty as I was when I was younger? I I'm curious to know if anybody else has noticed this phenomenon that as you get older um, you you actually are less emotionally resilient rather than more so. Because I, I would like to think that eventually, if I'm lucky enough to live long enough to be old, to be older than middle age, um, that at that point, I'm, I'm going to be one of those very sort of balanced, kind of mellow, tranquil, you know, with an almost like Buddhist-like serenity <laughs> that, that I've developed over my many years on this planet. And it doesn't feel like I'm aging toward that. It feels like I'm aging toward some sort of emotional chaos as opposed to serenity. So I'm curious to see what, what others listening might have to say on the subject. But anyway, coming back to my original point, oh my God, do I love, do I love Clayton and Fanny and and please bear that in mind, not just today, but anytime, if it seems to you that I am perhaps mocking my cats or, or poke, it, it is all gentle fun that I poke at them and done with so much incredible love. I, I really don't know what I am going to do someday without these two little mushy little fur piles that that have been gracious enough to agree to share their time on this planet with me in my home. And on that note, I am going to um, invite everybody to sit back, relax, and stick around. And we're going to take a very short break of about 30 seconds or so. And when we return, we will be speaking with sci-fi author and cat dad, Adam Troy Castro. Thanks so much for sticking around. Today's guest is an author whose books to date include four Spider-Man novels, three novels involving his profoundly damaged far-future murder investigator Andrea Court, and six middle-grade novels about the dimension-spanning adventures of a very strange haunted boy, Gustav Gloom. His works have won the Philip K. Dick Award and have been nominated for two Hugos, eight Stokers, the World Fantasy Award, 
and numerous international prizes. His 2022 story, My Future Self Refused, tells the tale of his widowhood in a science fictional construct. And it is, by the way, a lovely story that I encourage everyone to check out. He will be a guest of honor at this October's World Fantasy Convention in Kansas City. And he currently lives in Wildwood, Florida, where he's owned by two cats named Harley Quinn and Philip Marlowe. Please join me in welcoming Adam Troy Castro. Adam, thanks so much for being here. It is a great pleasure of mine. I'm a big fan of uh, Homer. Well, well, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I also am a big fan of Homer. So right off the bat, this is something that we have in common. I will also say, by the way, that I am a big fan of both Harley Quinn, at least the the film Harley Quinn. I cannot claim to be much of a comic book reader. Um, and Philip Marlowe. So, so two outstanding cat names. I also love cats that have first and last names, I have to say. Well, uh, we have a long history of that. We also had Uma Furman. It's <laughs> a great name. We had Gilbert the Gray. Um, I had a cat. I, my first cat was named Pita, P-I-T-A, which is the acronym. Uh, for, for, for pain in the ass, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> he got that name by me before I met him, and he... For his entire life, he did everything he could to live up to it. Well, you know, that's because I wouldn't know anything about that. Honestly, my <laughs> my cats have all been pure angels all the way through. But but here's the first question I'm actually dying to ask you. Um, so I am a Florida native and I went to college in Atlanta. And I, I have to say my, my sole knowledge of Wildwood, Florida is as the place where the turnpike ends and yes. you hit that interchange with I-75. That's all I, I've only ever driven through Wildwood. So please tell me, what is Wildwood, Florida like to, to live in? Wildwood, Florida um, is a town small enough but large enough to have outskirts. And you don't want to venture near the outskirts. I, and I are, are they crime ridden or or like meth ridden or or, or are they they just I, sort of like like deliverance or what's the what's the deal? You get that impression. I can't say I know for a fact that it's true. Um, <laughs> um, they were are on the wrong side of the tracks, and I moved into the right side of the tracks. Uh, it is a town that is largely dominated by the villages, which is a uh, housing and retail. And oh, yeah. Now, I'm familiar with the villages. I didn't realize that, that that was what I guess I thought of that as more of Orlando, although I know that Orlando and Wildwood are not terribly far from each other. They're about an hour apart. Yeah, I'm also an hour an hour away from Tampa, so that is useful to me. Um, Always good to have a choice of two airports. Uh, th that actually, you know, I'm going to say, as somebody who uh, is is pleasantly situated between the Newark and LaGuardia airports, although the words "pleasant" and LaGuardia are very infrequently joined in the same sentence. <laughs> but, but I will say that I agree with that. It's it's always good to have a choice, for sure. I, th I think it was uh, Neil Gaiman who wrote, in no human language is there the phrase as beautiful as an airport. So I I can, I absolutely believe that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm actually glad you brought up Neil Gaiman because that that sort of is is a good segue into one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Um, obviously, there's a long and glorious tradition of writers who love cats and love living with cats. But it seems to me that among the male writers specifically who are who are really interested in cats, there there tends to be a a heavy leaning toward you know fantasy horror science fiction some some of those genres and 
I was, you know, I'm always interested in talking to other writers who have cats about the extent to which they they find their cats interesting or the effect that their cats have in their writing process. But I was wondering if you could speak to maybe the extent to which, you know, genres like like, like fantasy and science fiction kind of, or, or cats lend themselves to those genres or vice versa. I'm not exactly sure how I want to phrase this, but I think you see what I'm getting at. I hope I you do. see what I'm getting at. Um, a, a good friend of mine or somebody who used to be a good friend of mine once said, you can be a writer without a cat. All you need is a dog. And uh, <laughs> fair enough. And I have I have experienced that the uh, I mean, certainly Dean Kuntz is usually on his book covers with a golden retriever and his books contain well more than their share of talking or super intelligent golden retrievers with superpowers. Actually, so, uh, a little bit of trivia, by the way, that Dean Kuntz wrote a, a memoir about his dog. I think it was called A Big Little Life. Yeah. And um, and that came out the same day that Homer's Odyssey came out. And it actually was part of the reason why Homer's Odyssey took off because Barnes and Noble, in their infinite wisdom, decided to create all of these like front of store kind of stepladder displays with the two books. Mm -hmm. And of course, Dean Koontz was Dean Koontz. And I was nobody anybody had heard of. But there they were, you know, prominently placed next to Dean Koontz's books. So so I I, I owe a bit of a debt of gratitude to Dean Koontz and and Trixie, I believe the dog's name was. I am always... uh... I'm always in the market for this kind of book, uh, although I read a lot of horror novels and a lot of thrillers. Uh, since Marley and Me and Dewey the Library Cat, um, I very much love that. And uh, the genre, unfortunately, took off before I took enough notes on the adventures of my cats, which were prolific. Um, uh, Gilbert in particular, but there, there, there have been a lot of adventures. But see, I would think as a writer... And and it's interesting because I the, and and I meant it when I said, by the way, that that your that the story my future self refused is is a lovely story, um, but there was one thing in it you said that I thought was very insightful about writers, which is the extent to which as a writer you're sort of always narrating in your life in your own head, um, and I had never I didn't intend to write a book about Homer until I intended to, which is to say yeah. about, you know, 18 months before there was the book. Um, but, it, you know, I found that having not taken notes or necessarily prepared for it over the preceding 12 years of his life, that it, it sort of came naturally, you know, once I started thinking of it in that context, because all along I'd kind of been narrating yes. his life. But I don't remember chronologies very well. Okay. I don't remember how many years ago something happened. Um, you know, uh, I've had cats who got sick and seemed on the verge of death. Uh, Harley Quinn did last year for a, a little while, five minutes, and then she got better. Um, the vet had offered to put her down. Um, now she's absolutely fine. Uh, the same thing happened with Meow Farrow. Um, so also a great name. Yeah. They, uh, they, they had all their adventures, but I do not. Rem- I cannot connect them to specific parts of my life, which is what you did, and uh, you know the specific nine one nine eleven adventure is not about Homer. It is about you trying to get back to your cats. Um, well, I Lord think it's Christine. you know it's about it's it's about the. I mean, it, it's really about both. It's about the nature of that relationship that would compel me to go through. You know, to go through that to try to get back to him. I think for me also though, in, in fairness, part of what worked in, in my favor 
in terms of trying to recall a specific chronology so many years after the fact was that I moved so much. You know, there were such discrete portions of my yeah. life that it became easy to sort of think, oh, right, that was right before I moved from my parents' house to South Beach. Oh, yeah, that was right after I moved from South Beach to New York, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And it was not easy to do at the time, but it did later on make for sort of an easy kind of natural narrative structure for mm-hmm. the story. Yeah, so that would kind of that would kind of congeal it more. Um, I can write with great authority about specific incidents in my life, but not a series of of incidents involving a, a great period of time. I just it just is not one of the talents that I have, and I have plenty. I'm the first one to say so. Also, the second, third, and fourth, and fifth. But I, <laughs> but I, uh, I, I do not have that particular one. Um, um, do you, do you find though that your cats, I mean, do, do your cats one way or another, either as actual cats or, or in various other forms, find their way into your writing? Oh yes, they certainly do. Um, um, and so do, uh, dogs, which I am related to. Um, um, there's a superpower dog in a series of stories I have, uh, based on an old couple living on the moon called, uh, Minnie and Earl. And uh, he's a golden retriever. Thank you, Dean. And he is uh, and he has adventures, Uh, but he's mostly the mysterious dog that has superpowers that you never get an explanation for until the fourth story. So uh, and I and uh, I do mention my uh, Miles, which is his which is the name of my brother-in-law's dog from many years ago, no longer alive. Show up here and there. Um, Gilbert. Um, Gilbert um, and uh, uh, Meow Farrow and uh, and especially Harley. Harley, who is the most affectionate cat I've ever known. She's the sweetheart, so she's the easiest one to write about. What kind of a cat is Harley? What does she look like? She is a very odd um, Siamese mix. Okay. And when I say that she's very odd, the orange tabby that she has is along the sides of her nose. Is That's she all. is she talkative? I, I find that Siamese and Siamese mixes tend to be very talkative cats. She's a very talkative cat. Um, Philip Marlowe, um, who is not the brave figure uh, who <laughs> walks down mean streets. He's actually a very scaredy cat. Uh, Philip Marlowe walks around um, making micro meows, which are. <laughs> like, and it just just whatever he's doing, he's just walking around and he's he's narrating, you know, in his head. That's an audio book. I, I always suspected that Homer my, was a was a tremendous storyteller in his own mind. I, I yes. really I've never you know, it's it's interesting. They really do all have their own personalities. Yes. And and I try very hard not to anthropomorphize them, not not, you know, I, I respect and and embrace and love their differences. But it always seemed to me that Homer, you know, because he couldn't see things, was always creating explanations in his head in his head for what was going on around him. And I I mean I would watch him invent these really intense games for himself. Mm-hmm. You know, the, these really yeah. intense, playful games that reminded me so much of myself as a kid making up stories mm-hmm. to explain my own games, you know, that that I was playing. I should mention here something which is interesting. Um, three Doors Down for me is uh, a very old friend of mine. We just happened to move into the same apartment complex without consulting each other. And she's only three doors down. And she's my cat sitter. I'm her cat sitter. And she has 
a blind, eyeless, uh, not eyeless. What am I thinking of? She's she has a blind black cat. Okay. Um, who of course makes me think of Homer, and of uh, and the, the very fearsome uh, black cat. Uh, it is very funny to watch her uh, try to get from the bed to the coffee table. The, the paw comes down and just probes the open air until she finally encounters a solid object. It's, uh, um, and, it's and so, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's, uh, you know, watch, I mean, truly just, and again, it, I guess it depends on the kind of person you are. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think that part of, of what people who love cats love is they, they, it, it, is that it is just great to observe cats and, and watch how they encounter their world. And, and it was fascinating to watch Homer learn his, his way around and, and to, to watch how he, experienced things and came to understand things to, you know, just his, his little head. It was like, always like, like this little sonar dish, you know, he had this way of sweeping yes. it back and forth, this very distinct way. Um, but it one is. Thing I lo- one thing I loved about your book is uh, the descriptions of the other two cats, not understanding that he's <laughs> blind and the, and uh, Homer himself, not understanding that he's blind. Right. Well, that's I, I I literally and I will say that to this day, I think Homer literally had no idea that there was such a thing as vision. I think he he died wondering how I always knew exactly what he was doing, <laughs> like how I even no matter how quiet he was, that that in his universe, I, I was omniscient. I was the the omniscient ruler of his life. But I would see my my cat Scarlet, may she rest in peace, who who really just did not suffer fools gladly. And I mean, there would be this this almost human look of contempt on her face as she would watch Homer sneak up on her, quote unquote, sneak up on her, you know, very moving very stealthily, but directly from the front while she was standing there looking right at him. And yeah. I, <laughs> I don't think she ever figured out like, like, like dummy, I, I'm looking at you. I, I, I can see you. I'm just going to hit you the second you get here, um, which she did. Many Never. years ago, I had a dog uh, that had perfect vision and used to sneak up on me from 30 feet away. <laughs> uh, but but directly coming at me. And I think it was just an invitation to beat her up. Uh, I mean, possibly. You know, there's also, I mean, and then there's like my cat, Clayton, who I love. And he is the sweetest cat in the world, but he is not... He is not the sharpest tool in the shed. So, <laughs> you know, there there are always things, but but he is probably. I mean, he is he is just the yummiest cat. But anyway, now, now we're now we're getting into my cats, which my listeners are are arguably tired of hearing about. So so we 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 can talk more about yours. But I I would love because obviously, so you've you had many cats over the yes. years. Nine and nine over the years. Yes, nine nine is a a good healthy number. And I was wondering if you could share. Um, the the origin story of one of them, you know, if one of them just has a great origin story, how he or she came to be a part of your life. Well, Harley in particular um, was orphaned at age one day. They found her mother. Oh my god! I mean that that is that yeah. that that yeah. is tough to overcome right yeah. there. And uh, somebody rescued her. There were actually four kittens in the litter, and at two weeks. We were given Harley, and uh, we named her Harley, and she was very tiny, as you can imagine, at two weeks. Um, and for the time that I was raising her as a kitten, my 
I mean, I'm a writer, of course. I stay at home. My uh, wife was going to work. And uh, Harley, by the time she figured out, but by the time she was like six to eight weeks old, I was her mother. No doubt about that. And the cool thing about uh, her discovery of human beings is, again, I always used to hold her in one hand while bottle feeding her with the other. Um, and she had a thing where she would not allow herself to be weaned. She would not. Uh, she liked the bottle feeding so much. Do you think she liked the bottle or do you think she liked the the closeness with you? I mean, the whole probably. You know, sort of gestalt of the whole thing. She liked the she she liked being held and fed and she had no interest in solid food whatsoever. Okay. So it was uh and we tried everything. We tried putting milk in the can of food. We tried uh you know putting some on her nose. Uh we tried uh, everything we could try. And then one day I said I have had more than enough of this because uh, <laughs> she was actually ripping each bottle to pieces with her teeth because they were big by that point. Um, I um, I took her and I forced her mouth open by the hinges. And then I put a big, gigantic, stinking blob of cat food, moist cat food on her tongue. And okay. closed her mouth. And she sat there uh, doing what cats do if there's something unpleasant in their mouth. She was with her tongue. And then all of a sudden, she froze. The food was still in her mouth. She froze. She was looking up at the ceiling with big wide eyes. And there was a sh- it was like there was a shaft of light coming down from heaven with a <laughs> with a heavenly choir. The food oh. is good. Yeah, and she started chewing very, very slowly. She never asked for a bottle again. You know, I, I have to say that as a, a Jewish woman of a certain age, I literally cannot remember a time when I did not know that food was good. <laughs> F- food's awesome. I, you know, I I don't remember that time either. Hence my, <laughs> my thirty years as a very fat guy. Um, I'm I'm not so much now. I've lost a lot of weight, but uh, anyway, she has become the most affectionate cat toward human beings that I have ever seen in my entire life. Uh, Never does a workman enter our house. Uh, Never does a neighbor walk by on the porch when I'm out there with her. Never does some stranger come by some, you know, you know, everybody from plumbers to process servers, you know, she's their friend. She wants to be with them. If, if you come into my house as a total stranger and sit on the couch she will be on your lap in 30 seconds. And we have is- a, we have a, I mean, Clayton is like that. We, we call him the, our, our official greeter, basically. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he is interested in, it doesn't seem to occur to him that people exist for any other reason than to be his friends. Um, yeah. And that is just a wonderful thing. Uh, um, only some of my cats have been like that. Um, 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 Ralph was like that. Um, um, and, uh, and, uh, but, uh, but Uma was not like that. Pharaoh was certainly not like that. Um, they have their fear of strangers, the desire for sameness that keeps a lot of them from being that friendly. Well, it's it just you know, makes them comfortable. 
My my dad used to say that that the children uh, come with factory presets by yes. by which he meant that you know I, I mean obviously everything is always that common that interaction right of of how someone mm. is raised or treated and and what their inherent tendencies are but that at a certain point people have their inherent personality traits Absolutely. Um, and and cats certainly do too I have you know I, there's not there's only I've only treated my cats differently insofar as their personalities have seemed to warrant different treatment. I would not try to force my my antisocial Scarlet into the same mm-hmm. kinds of social situations that Clayton throws himself into. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I raised them all with the same sort of security and love and and et cetera, et cetera. And uh yeah, they 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 have their own personalities. They really do. Um I did want to talk about uh you know the story I have about Pharaoh, which is a winner. You know, please prompt me when there's time. I you you may tell the story now. I, I have to tell you. I you know, so I read the story you wrote it, and you are a compelling writer. Um, it, it was it was a little bit of a terrifying story for me, uh, yes. but, I, but I'm going to let you tell the story. Well, uh, but this is as context. good a segue as any, and uh, yeah. and and set it up for us. I'm going to tell it in the context of the more serious thing that happened with Gilbert. Okay. Because you need to understand that Gilbert was uh, a, a sick cat, very physically robust cat, strong boy. I mean, uh, I've never seen a cat with such visible muscles on his legs. I mean, he was strong. Okay. But we noticed at one point during his kittenhood that he really chased his tail a lot. And we figured this was just the game that he had. And he would do somersaults trying to get to his tail and you know, nip it and bite it. And, okay, this was him. This got worse over the years that followed uh, to the point where he was growling and yowling at his own tail as if it was an enemy. And if you tried to stop him, he would attack you. Okay. Um which was not his personality at all. Very sweet boy. Um, his number one thing was trying to get Harley to pay attention to him. And he was in love with her and she couldn't care less about him. <laughs> uh, but we finally figured that this had to be a serious problem. And Judy, my wife, did a bit of research. And she found the name of the ailment that he probably had which is called hyperesthesia. Right. And it is a very cruel thing to happen to a cat. It is also fortunately fairly rare. It happens to one out of every 250,000 cats, which makes me very grateful that we got stuck with one. Um, And I'm not, I'm really kidding because he was wonderful, but came to the point where unless you, uh, unless you gave him some kind of mild, drug, he would be fighting his tail every day. And what hyperesthesia is, is it is a disease um, of the nerves that makes the spine and tail feel like they are twitching, makes them twitch uncontrollably. And if it is of a certain severity, the cat believes there is a enemy behind him biting him. Um, and, so and I will pause and say my my cat Scarlet, I believe, had a very mild 
version of this because she would also she would get that very rapid twitching on her back and she would get very angry at her tail it was not every day and it was not it did not become as intense as what you were describing but it was certainly something that that only she among all my cats has has ever experienced your listeners can see gilbert having one of those fists and and this is only to help diagnose their own uh because it's not a pleasurable thing uh on gilbert's hyperesthesia on youtube Okay, it exists. It can be seen. It is not something to watch for fun. Anyway, uh, I also happen to believe that hyperesthesia is an ailment that is vastly underestimated in terms of numbers. The cat, the uh, vet told us one out of every 250,000 cats. Um, I think it's about half that much, one out of 125,000 cats. And this is. M- I have no idea whether I'm right, but my logic is that, um, first of all, it probably goes undiagnosed a hell of a lot of the time. Um, secondly, if a, if the cat has a mild case, he's just he's just a little bit crazy. And if he has a serious case, I'm sure a lot of them have been put down. So that's a sad fact. I think it's a, a lot more common than they say it is. I mean, I think you're probably right on all counts. And again, you know, with my cat, Scarlet, when she was younger and I, she was my first cat. And so I just was like, OK, I guess this is maybe sort of like sometimes dogs chase their tails. So yeah. I thought it was maybe a cat thing. And then even later on when I had other cats and I realized that this was sort of more specific to her, it never really rose to the level of yep, something yep. that I felt required any sort of intervention. Again, it was a very mild, but but certainly very distinct. I mean, everything you're describing is something that I recognize. It just didn't, it never was as frequent or as intense as what you're describing. And when he, on the same yeah, and, and when he was in full rage, he would do things like run the length of the house, uh, run across the back of the uh, sofa and smack my bald head and run away. <laughs> Okay. Um, maybe, maybe he just didn't like your bald hat. <laughs> no, no, he loved he loved my bald head uh, I'm kidding. when he was okay. Um, if you define that as okay, <laughs> but he, um, but there were times when he we would then give him the drug and he would realize what he had done. He would come over and quite clearly apologize. We're, we're okay, aren't we? Said, yeah, we're okay. Aww. Okay, um, and. Uh, we had four cats when we had him. We had Uma Furman. We had Miel Farrow. Um, we had um, him and um, and uh, and Harley. Yes. Okay. Um, and so uh, they all got along with him, but they all got very used to his uh, to his uh, manic attacks. And um, it is not a untreatable disease it is very treatable you just got to recognize it and that's a message to your listeners um but this leads into my meow pharaoh story um she was a black cat um who was blessed by genetics with white patches they to touch her her belly was all white hello yeah no i'm here okay Okay. The line was so quiet. I thought you were gone. I, I am. I'm listening raptly. Okay. Um, and she got to be age 17 and she was very frail. She was getting skinnier and skinnier in her last couple of years. Um, um, and this happened, uh, what I'm about to tell you about four months before, um, uh, a 24 hour 
decline, which ended in her having to be put down. So, but she was fine before that. Uh, she certainly held her own against Gilbert, who was three times her size and scared of her. Um, and my wife, a um, little background on her, she weighed when when we met five hundred and two pounds. Okay. When we fell in love, she weighed about four fifteen. When we got married, she weighed 170. That is a significant difference. Yes. And she had to gain back some of that weight because uh, she did not have the padding that her body was used to. So she gained back about 50 of that. Okay. But it was about at, at, at 2.50 one day that she happened to sit on a black chair uh, and Pharaoh was there with her eyes closed and so she could not be seen. Okay. Sometimes she was on a black chair and her, her eyes blinked at us and we knew she was there. So your so your wife sat on Mia Farrow, uh Meow Farrow, basically. She sat on her. Okay. She sat on her and said, Oh my God, jumped up. Farrow ran for the hills. And Judy said, I probably killed her. I said, Judy, she ran away. She ran away. She's okay. But I don't know, check. I found her. I walked her around. Um, she was walking around fine. She was absolutely terrific. And I said, there's cushioning on a chair. And you also jumped up the second you, the second you felt her under your butt. So she's fine. And then we didn't see her for a few hours. And we were outside uh, in the living room watching TV when she came out of the bedroom staggering. There was clearly something wrong with her. Okay. Uh, she was not walking very well. Um, one eye was half closed. Um, she gave a half uh, half meow that was very pathetic. And Judy said, see, I told you, I killed her. I killed her. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, and, and, and th- I mean, by the way, that must I mean, just the idea that you might have hurt your cat is just one of those important possible things to get past like like just the, i mean truly that this just such an agonizing feeling i know and i and i'm talking as somebody who lost three of them to the open door yeah permanently gilbert was ran away multiple times and came back three or four time, days later um one day we found him hanging from the doorknob with his legs hanging oh my you know, god you know so so he was a guy who we mourned several times, but on this particular night, we were prematurely mourning Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh came up to my uh, to where I was sitting on the couch, laid in my lap, and she would usually lie in my lap with her head up watching TV with me. But this time her head was down, and she was very sleepy. I lifted her head. It fell back down like a dead weight. She like she wasn't even aware I lifted it, and Judy said, "See, see, look at her, look at her. She's probably going to die in your lap. She'll be dead by tomorrow morning." And I said, "Judy, you gave this also that um, we found it four weeks old. Um, you gave this orphaned cat seventeen years of a of a of a fine life. She's never had anything to be afraid of. She's." She's had a great life, and if and you were wonderful to her, and she will she knows that. So were you at this not, point, and and I'm sorry to interrupt, but were you at this point thinking of bringing her to like an emergency animal clinic, or I mean, what was 
you know, because I mean, it, it sounds like you were you were discussing this very calmly, but but that the cat was in some distress. Um, I must confess that we were we were talking at that time about bringing her to the emergency room the next morning. Okay. Um, there was also a financial factor because we were not doing well financially at the time. Yeah, and the 24-hour animal hospitals are expensive. Yeah, As I, I, I can tell you, you show up at 2 o'clock in the morning, prepare to pay through the nose. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't even getting medical attention myself at the time. So sure. it, was, it, was, it was not good. About six months later, we were evicted. Uh, there were criminal reasons why this why we had no money, but never mind that. Bottom line is she was asleep. She was in my lap and she was very disabled. And Judy was hysterical crying that she had killed this wonderful cat Mm. and came to the point where um, I had to get up from the couch. I put Farrow on the floor in front of me um, in a standing position. Her butt fell straight down. She couldn't stand. With, uh, she went back down to sitting and she's swaying like she's going to fall one way or the other. And then Judy said, let's give her something to eat, you know, just to be kind to her. And she went and she got some moist food and she put it down and Pharaoh devoured it like like she hadn't eaten in days. Which is a very good sign, by the way, yeah. because they- a really sick cat will not eat. And we're still trying to figure out what's going on. And then um, Gilbert walks by and says, um, not says, but, you know, is meowing at her. And Farrell, who's never given him the time of the day in her entire life, headbutts him, meows, heavy-lidded, just like she's loved him forever. And, <laughs> and she, and, you know, and then I yelled. I yelled it. Judy, she's not dying. She's high as a kite. <laughs> and she had eaten Gilbert's medicated food. Ah. <laughs> and she was uh, on drugs, is what it came down to. She was on drugs for the first time. Yeah. And she's feeling pretty good. Hence the friendliness. I love you, man. Right. <laughs> we we've all been there. We've all had one too many and say, you know what I love about you? You're the greatest person I know. <laughs> I tell this story to people. And I start it with it ends happily. Don't worry, because <laughs> because otherwise some people refuse to sit through it. But they still get worried. They still say, Oh, I don't want to hear any more of this. I said, it's still gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. Look, you know, the truth is it, it is because they, they can't talk to us and they can't tell us how they're feeling or what they're going through. And so there are always those moments when you're really hovering on that precipice of is something catastrophically bad happening or or is this just some sort of minor hiccup and, and it's going to yeah. be OK in a minute? I mean, the other day, Clayton, um, I, I had fed him and I put the food down and then I I kind of turned away for a minute. And then all of a sudden he's running back and forth frantically across the living room, foaming from the mouth. And I'm I'm trying to catch him to, to figure out what is he choking? Was there something in the food that shouldn't have been there? Did he get something else in his mouth that, that you know, something that I mean, Clayton is also he's kind of like a like a cat pica. I don't know if you're familiar with pica, uh, but pica it's is paper. a. It's well, it's a disorder in humans where people eat the like they eat like chalk and dirt and non-food items. Yeah. 
And I, I mean, Clayton doesn't actually have pica, but I make a joke because he just loves he's he's like I said, he's so sweet. He's not the smartest cat. He just loves putting things in his mouth. So, that, you know, for him to start running back and forth across the living room, foaming from the mouth, it, it, there could be anything in yeah. his mouth. And I mean, to, to you know, make a long a short story long, as I have been doing um, in the end. He was fine. I, I still don't know exactly what it was that happened, but the point being that things like that happen, and you don't know if it's a pre- if if it's the beginning of something horrible, or if it's just you know uh, like a minor little. He got a weird taste in his mouth, and and that was it. And it's because uh, they mm. they can't talk to us, and and that makes it that is that is at the heart of of so many of the heartaches that we have with our cats. Judy and I had two very smart cats because we we, ha- we both have had dumb cats. Dumb cats are the typical. We had two smart cats. Um, one was named one was an orange tabby named Jones, who was named after the orange tabby from Alien uh, because he looked just like him. And one was Uma Furman, who. But uh, each of those two cats had a demonstrable word vocabulary comprehension vocabulary of, of 30 to 50 words which That's is remarkable which is significant um and they knew the names of the other cats they knew they knew commands um they knew the name they knew the names for uh uh they knew their own name very well i i mean marlo i think still doesn't know his name i've had him for a year <laughs> um but um Uma, Uma, because of that intelligence, they both were hilarious because you could see them figuring out things. Right. Um, and it's it's, it's always fascinating to, to watch the uh, the feline yeah. minds at work. One that funny thing that happened with Uma is we put on um, Willy Wonka one day and it came Oompa Loompa. She came running because what it was calling her. <laughs> uh, but Jones had a. Jones had a had a had a great story. He was one of the ones we eventually lost to the outside, unfortunately. But he was a grown-up cat. He he took charge. He interposed himself, but uh, between the kitten Harley um, and uh, the kitten Ralph. I'm sorry, the kitten Ralph and um, and the mean old lady cat wouldn't let any harm come to her. And he was very smart, and he he was. There were cases where he was smarter than me. That he figured something out. Um, he liked walking in front of me slowly and keeping me from getting wherever <laughs> I wanted to go. Um, but came the one day where Judy, who had surgeries every year, she was like a surgery magnet. Um, she had surgery uh, on her abdomen one year, quite aside from her weight reduction surgery. Um, which was a very serious scar across her stomach. And Maggie, the cat, jumped over the couch, landed on Judy's belly. Oh. Judy screamed in pain. Um, um, Har- uh, not Marley, uh, Maggie walked away into the bedroom. While all this was happening, Jones was on the adjacent couch and he looked up and Judy said, Jones, go beat the crap out of your sister. <laughs> she did not say crap, by the way. She said the S <laughs> word. Okay. She was serious. And Jones, again, who was about 17, stood up 
did that thing cats do where they first stretch their front legs and then stretch their back legs? You say good stretch to them. Right. And jumped down from the couch and in no hurry at all, walked into the bedroom. Like, like a bruiser cracking his knuckles, basically. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then you heard coming from the bedroom. <laughs> and she said, okay, Jones, she's had enough. Jo- Jones, the Avenger. And, and he came out of the bedroom walking slowly again, does the same stretch and gets back in the couch in the same spot. You know, before we uh, before we wrap up, I, I did want to ask you, as long as we're on the, the subject of health issues, I know that, that you have been going through um, some, some health issues of your own recently. Yes. And... You know, and and it's always I, I always find it's interesting to to talk to people and and you know over a long enough timeline we we all have health problems large or small and and it's always interesting to see how our cats I- intuit them and and react to them and and I was just wondering if if your cats seem to have a sense of of how you're feeling if they respond or react to that in any way if if that's something that you could speak to a little bit. Um. Well, what what I have is colon cancer. But it has been, but it is being treated, and I'm going to be okay. It's just it's just something I'm saying right now to avoid any any right. over over overreactions to it. Um, and what I can tell you is that the cats were totally and completely solicitous toward Judy. Um, my current crew is less solicitous toward me. Um, they, uh, you know, um, maybe they don't recognize that I'm ill, or I don't give off the uh, the the vibe of it, although I've had some really bad days, uh, but they're okay. They, they, they stick close to me. They love sitting on my lap um, the, uh, one at a time or two at a time. And they, you know, I, there are times where I catch them taking care of me and I, and I like that. I, I love that. I, I adore them for that. And I know it's, I, I know they are capable of understanding that much. And well, I, I think that, I mean, I think that's probably true. You know, my, my own cats, I'm not sure. I, you know, it's, it's always interesting. I don't know how much they understand. I know they like it when I'm stuck in bed for them. It's, it's a, whatever it is that that's keeping me in bed. I, I think they, they almost look at it as, you know, I don't know if they're hanging out with me in bed for my sake or because it's like, yay, we're all hanging out in bed today. <laughs> and, uh, but I tend to think it's the latter truth be told. Well, one thing I know for a fact is that I've had two or three cats who, whenever Judy and I were fighting, which we did, we were married couple. Sure, of course. What? Um, um, and sometimes, sometimes very angrily because you know we we're volatile people. Um, Uma would always jump up on the couch between us and meow and, uh, just to stop us from fighting. Ah. And we got to the point where we considered this a trick, and we used to say to each other, "Blah blah." <laughs> <laughs> blah blah no blah 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 blah, and then he used to, she used to come and save us. <laughs> <laughs> that's very that's very sweet. My my husband used to like that my cat, our cat Vashti would get jealous when we were being affectionate with each other, and so he would you know make a big show of hugging and kissing me just to see Vashti get jealous until she started peeing on things of his as as another way of expressing her jealousy. And then, then it was not as, as cute. It wasn't as fun a game as it had been originally. I will say my cat Clayton gets very upset when I cry that that is very upsetting for him. Um, and, and it's something that he recognizes and, and responds to. Um, 
But yeah, you know, so if people want to learn more about what you're doing, what you're working on, I, I do know that you have a, a GoFundMe set up for for some of your treatment. But I also know that there is just a a wealth of, of there, there's so much that you've written there. There's such a body of work that you have. So if people want to know more about Adam Troy Castro and and cats and writing and all the rest of it, where should they go? Well, I mean, uh, uh, with, with with the statement that I'm sure you understand that I would like very much if they bought some of my work. Of course. Uh, there is uh there are about 70 short stories available online um on two magazine websites uh lightspeed magazine uh which is a science fiction slash fantasy magazine um and i do tell you that i do warn people that some of the stories are rough um i do everything from stories that'll rip your guts out to ones that'll just make you smile um Lightspeed Magazine has about 40 or 50 stories. And there's another magazine called Nightmare Magazine, um, which has uh, about another 20, which is a which is a horror magazine. And both of these sites um, have a lot of uh, podcasts for the stories read mostly by a very brilliant guy called Stefan Rudnicki, um, who is who is a great reader of stories and and. Uh, has one of those um, deep, honey, uh, resonant voices that um, if you heard it in the middle of the night, you you would think you know God is there to call you home. But <laughs> but, uh, but but and, and if people want to, but if people want to buy some of your books, I mean, obviously they can look for you on Amazon. Do you have a website where people can find like a list of of everything that you've written? If you know yes, if they want to yes. ask their local bookstores, et cetera, et cetera www.adamtroycastro.com. No hyphens, just just that. And if I can plug the two most recent short story collections. Please do. They are The Author's Wife versus the Giant Robot, um, uh, which has a picture of Judy on the cover because because her part of the story is 100% true. Okay. And uh, A Touch of Strange. Uh, they both came out in 2022. They both have uh, about 40,000 words of my stories apiece. Well, Adam, thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast today and and for telling us about your your many fascinating and fascinatingly named cats. And uh, and yeah, I, I, I certainly wish you and, and the kitties all, all good health and good fortune going forward. Thank you very much. And same to you. Same to you. Uh, you know, they... They are reflections of us, and uh, I think that's one of the wonderful things about them is is they drive you crazy, and you can't not you can't you have to stand it, and that's just wonderful. Uh, honestly, I you know I and and I can honestly say this is true. I I don't always succeed, but I I really do try to be the person my cats think I am. Well, that's one disadvantage of having cats. I mean. <laughs> They're a little bit more cynical about it than dogs. <laughs> I mean, they are, but see, I mean, the my cats right now. I I swear, I I really think, they, I mean, they just they are so happy when I walk in a room. I really think they just think that I'm the greatest person, and I am not. They know very few people, you know, so they don't really have much of a basis of comparison. Um, and I know that I am not the greatest person, but I I I do I do try to live up to what they think of me. Um. And and it, but it's it's question. also good that it's that it's tempered, you know. So yeah. can I ask you one question before sure. we go? Sure. 
I've been watching these with fascination. What do you think of the message button boards for cats uh, where they know some very abstract concepts where the, and they're typing uh, sentences to their owners? What is your personal take of that? I half believe it and I half don't. Um, again, to tell you the truth, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, ha- I remember one of the, the first conversations that I had with another writer who was also interested in animals after Homer's Odyssey was published was Temple Grandin. Um, and Temple Grandin, and and I don't know how much you know about her or, or my listeners, but but she is um I, what is I the, know who she is. Yeah, yeah she, right. Yes. She's the autistic. Yeah, uh, she's the exactly, exactly right. And yeah. and you know, she's an and she's an advocate for animals and and she is very firmly of the belief, and and I tend to agree with this. That animals think visually as opposed to thinking in words. Um, and and not, I mean, notwithstanding that we all can witness that many dogs and cats obviously understand some words. They they might even have a certain basic vocabulary, but I tend to disbelieve that it is their natural mode of thinking. Um and I'm also inherently suspicious of of you know anything that tries to draw too close a parallel between a, a cat's or a dog's or any non-human animal's thought processes and our own. I think there are, for as many similarities as there are, there are also differences. Um, I think it's very natural for us to try to understand everything in terms of how we ourselves would would do it or or understand it. But I, I think it's also a little bit of a trap. So I guess my, what I, you know, ultimately I would say that my mind is open to possibilities, but I am skeptical. How does how does that sound? That's where I am. All right, that's where I am. Especially when the I mean, I understand being able to press a certain uh, button for food, right? But I do, really start shaking my head as the concepts become more and more abstract. I you, that's I would agree. How do you teach a cat that this button means mad? <laughs> My my cats don't need a button to let me know when they're mad. By the way, <laughs> my, yeah. my cats do a perfectly good job of yeah, that, but all on their the, own. To go through the actual moment where you're teaching the cat mad, uh, what does that involve? Slapping him across the face and saying this button? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, that's I mean, that's also where you get into. I I, I don't even want to know how how the sausage is made, as yeah. they say. But yeah. um, and 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 on that note. Um, I will. I will really thank you so much for, for. I know we had a little bit of trouble getting this interview together, so thank you for bearing with me and for, uh, and and for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. It's it was a great pleasure for me. Um, good luck with your cats and with everything else you do. Well, thank you very much, and the same to you. And thanks so much to all of you for listening. Please don't forget to join me again next week for another all new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today. <laughs>